Welcome to Old Fashioned Finance, the podcast that mixes cocktails and high finance. I'm your host, Jason Demland, and I am joined as always and in the future by my good friend and fellow money muddler, Caleb Frankert. Caleb. All right, Caleb is not here. So let's see if a podcast about finance can be entertaining without Caleb. All right, let's mix it up. Greetings, everyone. I am happy that you are joining me on today's episode of Old Fashioned Finance because it's just you and I today. Caleb is out. It is the end of the holiday season. You are probably packed up all of your Christmas decorations. It's the new year. It's 2022. And I'm here to talk to you about an interesting cocktail and an awesome topic of high finance. I'm, I'm pumped even though it's just me. So let's dive right in. Today, I want to talk about farming. I know that that seems weird. uh, So let me explain a little bit more. I wrote a blog post a while ago that was about inheriting farm ground. And the reason I did it is because in our area uh, where we live, it's rural, uh, northwestern Ohio, uh, there's a lot of third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh generation farm people out here. And a lot of them are inheriting farm ground that has been broken up over the years. You know, uh, if you're like me, well, what happened is a great, great grandpa immigrated here from Germany or, or from somewhere in Europe because it was kind of exciting time as a new world. Uh, for this is a big Prussian uh, immigration and uh, came to the new world as the 1800s, uh, right before the Civil War got some farm ground, and started a new life. So that's what the Demlin family did. And uh, when great-great-grandpa William started the farm, it, that's, we were mostly an agrarian society. So started growing crops, uh, had some animals, had some kids, they farmed, uh, and then the Industrial Revolution happened, and less and less people farmed. So as the farm was handed down through generations, it was split up between several kids, And many times one child would try to keep the farm together and keep farming, have to buy out siblings uh, until it just kept going uh, until you get to where we are now in the year 2022, where a lot of people that don't farm are inheriting farm ground. So I wrote a blog post to address that and it became kind of my biggest hit as far as blogging goes. Uh, It by far gets the most hits. Uh, It's it's simply called What to Do with Inheriting Farm Ground uh, or When Inherited Farm Ground is a Bad Investment. So I'm going to speak to that today. And while we talk about it, we're going to talk about a drink that hopefully is related to farming. All right. Today's drink is the Old Fashioned. I know we've done that on the very first episode of this podcast. This old-fashioned is a rye old-fashioned. I thought that that would be uh, more interesting. It's a little grittier, a little harsher than a regular old-fashioned, just like farmers are. Uh, So for today's uh, drink, I mixed up some Sazerac rye, uh, two ounces of Sazerac rye, three dashes of Angostura bitters, and about a quarter of an ounce of simple syrup, muddled it together, Popped in some ice cubes and a maraschino cherry, Luxardo, and now I'm enjoying a very simple cocktail. I figure simplicity is best. Uh, Coming from a farming background, uh, we value that. Uh, So I thought I'll be drinking that today. It's very easy to make. Uh, We've talked about rye before. Rye, to be a rye whiskey, it just needs to be 51% rye. Sazerac rye is a barely legal rye. So let's enjoy it, and I'll kind of tell you about the flavor profile. Yeah, that's an old-fashioned. That's a good cocktail. Uh, as with most cocktails, when we talk about them, 
and go through them with whoever we talk with, Jerry Thomas or uh, David Embry or David Wondrich. Good ingredients make good cocktails. So the better your whiskey, the better this cocktail is going to be. Uh, but that's about, that's about it. It's as simple as it gets. As an addendum, last week we kind of uh, debated about cocktail hardware or glasses and measurements. So I was going to go ahead and jump into uh, some common glassware and measurements you might get and, and just go through them. And Caleb, you listening to this, it's going to be very enlightening for both of us. So this is from uh, David Wondrich's uh, Imbibe, which is the definitive history book on cocktails. So let me just blast through this while you're enjoying your cocktail. Here's some common glassware and the measurements for them. So a large bar or mixing glass. If you ever hear that, a large bar glass or a mixing glass, it's about a 12 to 16 ounce glass. And it's usually represented by the 16-ounce mixing glass. We see a lot of those. A small bar or mixing glass is usually a 5- to 8-ounce glass. It's a short glass with a heavy bottom, so think an old-fashioned glass. Not a, not a double old-fashioned glass, which is what I have here, but a regular one, about 5- to 8 ounces. And you can mix in that too, but most people mix in the larger glass just because it's a lot easier and then they pour into the serving glass. Uh, a cocktail glass is a stemmed glass. It's more rounded than V-shaped and it holds no more than three ounces. So a traditional cocktail glass holds no more than three ounces. It's hard to find that nowadays. They're, they're so big. So you're probably going to find one that's, you know, six ounces and that's a big old glass. So if you want to stay true to the old timey recipes, you're going to want something that's small and you can probably find one that's four to five ounces. And I've got a couple of coupe glasses at home that are cool looking. Uh, those fit the bill there. An earthenware mug you could get. Just make sure it doesn't, <laughs> Wondrich says, preferably without Garfield or Dilbert on it. Uh, most of our mugs made out of earthenware have weird locos on them now. Uh, you can also get a Collins glass. That's a tall, narrow glass, 14 to 16 ounces. It's narrow. That's a Collins glass. A tumbler is a big old eight ounce glass. That's what I've got right here. Good for punches, David Wondrich says. A fizz glass is a slender six to eight ounce glass. A red wine glass, this is what we were talking about in last week's episode, um, wine glasses and sherry glasses. A red wine glass is a glass for red wine, not a wine glass that is red. It's also called a claret glass. It's a four-ounce glass, so you want it to be four ounces. A sherry glass is a narrow-stemmed two-ounce glass. And a pony glass, this is what I was thinking of last time, is a small, narrow-stemmed glass holding one ounce or a little more than that. So there's your quick rundown of glassware. Make sure that your cabinet is stocked with those when you're enjoying your cocktails that you're making. And with no further ado, and with rye old-fashioned in hand, let's dive into today's finance topic. All right, I alluded to it early in the episode. And today, I am going to talk to you guys about when farm ground you inherit is a bad investment. This is a topic that is fraught with emotions. And it's something that I talk to with my clients frequently about because around my area, like I said before, we're not, we're not dealing with uh, top hat plans and executive compensation and uh, you know, a big estate planning for uh, corporate mergers and you know, really complicated financial planning that really affects that top 1% because we're out here in the Midwest. We have mostly blue collar folks, but uh, a lot of those blue collar folks have inherited farm ground. So this is a hot topic and it's full of emotion, but a farm ground is one of the biggest appreciated assets that people around here have. So that's why I want to talk about it, what to do with you inherit it, 
um, what you should do with it and, and kind of how to deal with that. So this inheritance of farm ground can be a blessing. It can also be incredibly frustrating. And I've seen it be that way too. Um, you've got lots of options when you inherit farm ground. Uh, and, and if you want to start farming or you're already farming, um, it might be a pretty easy answer. You're probably going to keep it. So I'm not really going to talk to you about that. If you're a farmer and you inherit farm ground, great. You just added more acreage. That is exactly what you wanted. Uh, you get a stepped up cost basis. I'll talk about the taxes at the end, um, but that's a great move. But what if you don't farm? What if you're uh, you know, third, fourth, fifth generation and you have inherited a piece of farm ground? You don't have any equipment. You don't really have any desire to farm. Maybe you want to start and that's one option when you inherit farm ground. You can decide, I'm going to get into farming and this is a good start because I didn't have to buy the land. But there's also all the emotion that goes with it when you're making this decision. I don't want to discount that. So uh, this is usually a family heirloom. Uh, and if you grew up on a farm, you know that they don't make more ground. Uh, the farmer's adage is if ground comes available for sale right next to your ground, you have to buy it. Uh, it's really convenient and you might not ever get that opportunity again in your lifetime. So with all of that, knowing that your great, 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 great grandparents bought this farm and started farming it, um, or, uh, you know, there's, there can be just a lot of emotions tied up with it. So I don't want to discount any of that, but I am a cold robotic financial planner, but I have to deal with that personally when I think about my family's farm, uh, because I've got a, a, a lot of other people in my family, and they're probably sentimental about it too. We're all going to have to deal with what to do. Who's going to buy it? Are we going to sell it when that time comes? Uh, so uh, with that being said, uh, if you're not a farmer and you don't plan on starting farming, I want to talk to you about options when you inherit your farm ground. The number one option that you have when you inherit farm ground and you're not a farmer is to sell the farm to family. Maybe you have family that does farm. I talked about sentimentality before that. Um, if you're sentimental about farm, the ground, and another member of your family is also sentimental about the ground, but they farm, maybe give preference to them. You inherited the ground, sell to them. You may or may not want to give them a, a little bit of a discount on it when you sell it to them. Uh, but this is probably the best option to satisfy you. You get, the, you get to keep the farm in the family and you sell kind of a burdensome property, and then get a financial windfall on top of that. Uh, it, it seems like a clean and simple solution, but there's some negative aspects to consider. Uh, your family member who's farming may not be able to pay that appraised value of the land. And that means in order to keep it in family, you have to be willing to take less money. So I, I alluded to that too. You, if, you re if it's really important to you, you can cut a discount um, or you can set up a payment plan or something like that. Uh, but know that there's probably going to be other interested people in this farm ground, especially nowadays. Uh, farm ground is, uh, with all the stimulus that's come in and the government programs, and then uh, the whole COVID disaster kind of made a shortage. Grain prices are up. Farm Farming is pretty good right now. So people are might maybe willing to pay over market value for that farm ground. So it could be a pretty steep discount to sell the farm ground to family. But it's something to consider. I got to bring it up. It's what I talk to about with my clients when they're considering this. And there's a big emotional aspect tied in with that. Due to the emotional attachment of the ground, this is really popular. So people will consider that. The second option that I want you to consider is keeping the ground and treating it as investment property. You know, a lot of people choose to do this, go this route, and it's really popular and rightly so. So you're, you're, you're not selling the ground. You're just keeping it. It's investment property. Now you're going to make some money off of it. Uh, due to the emotional attachment to the ground, a lot of folks choose to hang on to the farm and then cash rent it to a farmer. 
average crop land ground in 2021 in the United States was valued at about $4,420 an acre on average. And it's a lot higher than that in the Corn Belt and in places like our state of Ohio, but think of like Iowa and Illinois and Nebraska. um, It's closer to $7,000 an acre in those areas. It's better ground, better for growing grain. In Ohio, the average is about $6,800 an acre in 2021 from the U.S. Department of Agriculture Cropland Value by State uh, Survey. And uh, hey, if you want to check all this stuff out, by the way, visit financialdefiance.com. And right there on the front page of the website is a link to when farm ground you inherit is a bad investment. And in that article, there are links to all these statistics that I've gathered up. But um, so $6,800 an acre in Ohio. And and maybe, and it, like I said, it could be worth a lot more depending on who wants to buy it. But in this scenario, you're not selling it. But I went ahead and looked. The USDA also puts out a publication on what the average rent is for cropland ground. And it's about $200 an acre. It was actually $199 an acre on average. So you go ahead and take $200 out of your $4,420 to $6,800. And there's about a three to five, you know, maybe 6%. It could be up to a 7% return on investment before taxes and excluding any fluctuation in land values. Um, And know that property taxes can vary. So it's worth noting that there are some exceptions and there's some programs out there that can reduce property taxes, like participating in an ag district program. You have to look into all that. So there's a lot of variables here. These are rough numbers, Um, but I wanted to give that to you. So here's an example. For example, an 80-acre parcel of qualifying agricultural use ground in Defiance County, Ohio, appraised at just under $3,000 an acre, for taxes, owes $4,034.71 annually in taxes. If the rental income from the land is $16,000, I'm using the $200 an acre average cash rent, that means that around 25% of your return on investment is eaten up by the property tax. So you've got to consider property taxes. Taxes alone can cut quite a bit into the total return of the farm ground. Uh, but but let's just say if you hold on to the farm ground for 35 years, you could also realize some appreciation on the ground. Farmland over in history has gone up over time. Uh, so you could hang on to the land and hope land value continues to appreciate as it has historically uh, over the average rate, which is about 7% a year, according to the USDA. And I, uh, on the website, I've got that chart too. It actually actually looks like it peaked around 2014 and has kind of started to level off. But you know, it's just like kind of like the stock market markets. It, it adjusts over time, up and down, up and down. But over the long term, it has gone up. Uh, this could work out to a good total return uh, of around 10% annually. So if you take in the the cash income, this is like the equivalent of uh, market investing. This is like uh, dividends. This is the, the total yield. You've got appreciation and dividend payments in or, or interest payments in, even though this is cash rent and land appreciation. So uh, the, the pros to this approach, remember I'm talking about keeping the ground and cash renting it to satisfy your sentimentality. And to hopefully have a diverse, a diversified asset if you've already got other investments, having farm ground could be another investment vehicle that adds some diversification to your portfolio. And you could maybe be getting 10% a year over 35 years if you plan to sell the ground. So the pros to this method are uh, you, you get to keep the ground, uh, you get to control the ground, you get some income from it, you don't have to farm it, and eventually you can sell it if you want to in the future at hopefully an appreciated price uh, for more money. The cons to this method, though, are that you're going to be a landlord. You'll have to manage the property and the renter, and you've got a big non-liquid asset that won't be much good to you in a financial emergency. Uh, Just think about needing to cash in on a farm. I mean, nowadays, you might be able to sell it pretty quickly, but 
it's going to take a little bit and it's, there's going to be a cost associated with that too. So that's, that's the second option. Keep the ground and treat it as investment property. The third option is just to sell the land to the highest bidder. And now if you're a cold robotic financial planner, this is usually the best option if you're not a farmer. It is cold and unfeeling, but it's, and it's scary for the most of the people that I run into, but it's usually the most appropriate. You, you should do it. It's a windfall. If you're not a farmer and you get this and you can sell it for a good amount of money, it can change your life. So the reason that selling the ground outright is, is usually the best decision is because it's the cleanest. It fits the best into most people's current financial plans. Like I said, it's a windfall. It's important to look at your financial goals and to see how this inheritance helps you and your family accomplish those goals. If you weren't planning to become a farmer, then it makes sense to turn the land into a windfall. That's, that's the short case of it. Use it to fund your other goals, to, to springboard you towards financial independence or to uh, you know, fund whatever else you were looking at, remodeling your house, going on lots of vacations, retiring early, that sort of thing. So here's a scenario. Uh, if you were to inherit 40 acres of cropland from your parents, who probably weren't farming it either, maybe your mom or dad inherited it from their parents and the farm just keeps getting portioned off to the next generation, or maybe they were renting it. And if you aren't a farmer, then you've just received a great windfall. If the farm ground you've inherited is average ground, well, let's just say you inherited $150,000 worth of ground at 40 acres, which is probably more than that right now. If the total estate that's distributing the inheritance is valued under $12,060,000 in 2022, that's the federal estate tax exemption, then there's no need to worry about federal estate taxes. State estate taxes vary, but if the ground's in Ohio as of right now, there's no state-imposed estate taxes, or as they're affectionately known by most farmers, death taxes. $150,000 can be life-changing if you received it, uh, especially if you weren't planning on it. Think about that. When we talk about farm ground, selling it, uh, or keeping it, we have to do an opportunity cost uh, kind of comparison. So let's talk about what is a better investment, keeping the ground or selling it and maybe investing into a non-qualified investment account with, with a financial advisor or someone like me, where you're invested in the broad market overall. To answer that question, which is better, it depends, is always our answer. Where are you in your current financial plan? Are you getting out of debt? Are you saving for retirement? Are you saving for your kid's college? Are you drawing money down in your retirement? You could use $150,000 to get out of debt or at least make a huge dent in your debt. You could fully fund your emergency fund, I sure hope. You should get a huge boost to your retirement savings or kid's college funds, or you could even start a charitable fund if that's the phase that you're on. You can do a lot of different things with that money as opposed to keeping in the farm. There's some cons to keeping the farm ground too, and I, I, I said that earlier. So first, the farm ground's not liquid. And a portfolio made up of mutual funds and ETFs is generally a lot more easily converted to cash than a farm ground. Now, technically, funds, ETFs, stocks aren't liquid, um, but in today's day and age, you can usually turn them into cash immediately, you know, unless it's a holiday or a weekend or something like that. Um, there are lim limits to the liquidity of those funds. I just want to make that, make that clear. It's not liquid like a checking account is or like a CD, but they're much easier to convert to cash than a farm or like a house or really any investment property. Second, know that farm ground is not diversified. It's just farm ground. And if you have $150,000 of farm ground, you could be heavily concentrated in investment property farm ground. Your net worth could be disproportionately tied to land values. And in an inflationary environment, and who knows, your farmers are really dependent on uh, government regulation and subsidies too. There could be political upheaval that affects the value of your farm ground. 
And if that's the only investment that you have, you're not diversified. You're actually at a risk that you might not even really realize that you're taking. So having a portfolio made up of ETFs and mutual funds that's diversified across all sorts of market sectors, and it might even involve investment real estate, some of it could be agricultural, um, that will be diversified compared to the farm ground not being diversified. So it, you you are at a risk there for keeping the money in the farm. And, and an investment portfolio can be split up too to fund different goals, like, like starting an endowment or giving to a charity or paying off debt or providing a future income stream or saving for retirement. And farm ground just can't do that stuff as well. It's farm ground. And it might be a good investment on its own, but if it doesn't fit your financial goals, it could be a, a burden, really. So hopefully that kind of clears up the options. I know which way I lean on this stuff, but it's hard. So you got to consider the cold hard facts with all of this. So with that being said, let's talk now about taxes and debts. So when you inherit a farm, it's really important to remember a few basic rules. One of those rules is what is owned must stand good against what is owed. That basically means that all of the assets of the person that's passed away, the estate, must be able to pay for the debts that the person that passed away has incurred. The only way a beneficiary can inherit debt is if they choose to do so. So in order to keep the assets that are in that that they're inheriting. So, you know, a, a farm in an estate that has a mortgage will usually need to be paid off. Got to pay that mortgage off before the assets are distributed. And usually the executor has to make the final decision on when or the, whether any of the assets need to be liquidated to pay the debts. And oftentimes the beneficiaries will be given the option to receive the land if they agree to take care of the liabilities as well. All of that can be worked out. Just know that you can't inherit debt unless you really choose to, and you have to pay that off usually to inherit the actual asset. Otherwise, the assets are going to be liquidated to take care of the debts. And then with taxes on an inheritance, there's plenty of variables uh, that impact this, and it's important to seek out a professional for help. But generally speaking, unless the total estate is valued at more than $12,060,000 as of 2022, there are no federal estate taxes. That's as of right now. Uh, state ta Estate taxes vary and I already mentioned earlier, but in Ohio, where I live, there aren't any estate taxes. It's very likely, likely that there will be no estate taxes due at all uh, if you're inheriting from a small family farm. And this is a majority of what I see people doing. If it's a really, really big farm enterprise and it makes you the total estate worth more, more than $12 million, there probably are going to be trusts or LLCs involved already. And if you're involved in a farm that is that big, I, I highly recommend looking into establishing an LLC for that. So let, let's talk about that. This, I'm not talking about estate income taxes, though. Those should be avoided at all costs. That's when the estate, when somebody passes away and the estate has money, let's say uh, for a farm, the estate could have farm ground that's being cash rented. There could be income coming into the estate, and those are taxed at exorbitant levels, uh, which is an incentive for the estate to not stay open. Uh, so I'm not talking about that. I do want to talk about capital gains also. These are the taxes that usually come into play when you inherit an asset like farm ground. When you decide to sell the farm, is when capital gains taxes come into play. The value at the land of the time the benefactor passes away is treated as the cost basis for the person that inherits it. If your father passes away and leaves you land that he purchased for, let's say, $1,700 an acre back in 1979, and it was worth $5,800 an acre when he died, then you have a cost basis of $5,800. And this means that when you sell the land, the gains or losses will be calculated based on $5,800 an acre. Here's an example. Let's just say my dad bought 40 acres of ground in 79 for $1,700, like I just said. Uh, that's $68,000 in, in total he paid for 40 acres. Let's say he died in 2015. 
the value of the ground was appraised at $5,800 an acre, which is $232,000 in total. So that's a big increase from the $68,000. My stepped up basis inheriting the ground is $5,800 an acre. That's what basically the value of the ground is to me for tax purposes. So when I sold the ground in 2020 for $7,000 an acre, $280,000 total over the $232,000, I realized a long-term capital gain of $1,200 an acre, $48,000. That's the difference between $280,000, the value when I sold it, and $232,000, the value when I inherited it. So instead of having to pay taxes on the increase of from $1,700 an acre to $7,000 an acre, that $1,700 my dad paid for it, I only have to pay on the increase of $1,200 an acre from the date of my father's death. And at my preferred capital gains rate of 15%, that means I owed $7,200 in taxes. That's 15% times 48,000, that equals $7,200. Inherited property is taxed as a long-term capital gain, even if it's held for less than one year. And capital gains rates are dependent on your income. They're either 0%, 15%, or 20%. And if you are inheriting farm ground, it really makes sense to contact a financial planner that is familiar with the process. I have tried to specialize in this just because I know there's a big emotional impact that comes with it. Uh, Caleb here has a lot of experience with it as well. Um, Our firm has helped lots of people in this situation, whether that's keeping it and cash renting it and cash flowing it because you want to leave it as a legacy asset to your kids, uh, or if you do need to sell it to fund other goals, uh, we can help with that. Um, I know it's just it's just fraught with emotion when when you run into this. So hopefully that was really helpful. I know it was a lot of information. Go to financialdefiance.com to read the full article uh, that I wrote. I try to update it at least once a year. Uh, it does spur a lot of debate. Uh, farmers uh, think I'm an idiot. I think when when they see uh, just me mentioning that farm ground might be a bad investment. And I don't mean that it's always a bad investment. I've just seen that sometimes it is a, a, a burden to maintain. And I've certainly seen people wreck their financial uh, situations to purchase the family farm. Whoops. And full disclosure, that's something that I am dealing with uh, personally as my, my grandparents age. I'm trying to think of how can I buy the family farm? And it might not actually fit into my financial plan as good as it should. So I deal with this also. Uh, It's really good to have somebody on the outside that can kind of pull emotion out of it to give you advice. So that's that's why I recommend doing that. Uh, You may need to bring an attorney in also to deal with the impacts of trusts. Uh, Good estate planning is key here though too. So make sure if you own a farm and you're going to pass it on to somebody, they kind of know. Um, make sure things are laid out very clearly and, and you have your wishes kind of drawn out. Whew, that's a big and heavy topic, but I think it's time to close out the tab. So thanks for having a drink with me this week. It's time to close out that tab. If you have a question or topic you want to address on the Old Fashioned Finance Podcast, be sure to email us at speakeasy at oldfashionedfinance.com. We would love to hear from you. Don't forget to share the show with someone you love or just someone who needs a little money muddling themselves. You can stay up to date with the latest action by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Old Fashioned Finance is brought to you by Blue Jay Financial Group. That's bluejfg.com and produced by Pottery Studios. I've been your host, Jason. Cheers. Blue Jay Financial Group, LLC, Blue Jay, is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of Ohio. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. 
The presence of this advertisement on this podcast shall not be directly or indirectly interpreted as a solicitation of investment advisory services to persons of another jurisdiction, unless otherwise permitted by statute. Follow-up or individualized responses to consumers in a particular state by Blue Jay in the rendering of personalized investment advice for compensation shall not be made without first complying with jurisdiction requirements or pursuant to an applicable state exemption. All verbal and written content on this presentation is for information purposes only. Opinions expressed herein are solely those of Blue Jay, unless otherwise specifically cited. Material presented is believed to be from reliable sources and no representations are made by our firm as to other parties' informational accuracy or completeness. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation.